Good morning, Christ Church. Unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties, today's live sermon didn't record. So I'm here in my home study, re-recording it. So if you weren't able to join us for worship today, you're still able to follow along as we continue through this incredible journey through the book of Matthew. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the ability to join here through technology. So Lord, we ask as we study this text that you impress it upon our hearts and our minds and our mouths and that we can carry it with us everywhere we go. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Our text today is Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. This is the word of the Lord. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. It is so wonderful to be with you all here, albeit virtually, during this incredible season called Eastertide. Eastertide is the time between Easter Sunday, which was last Sunday, and Pentecost, which is Sunday, May 28th. And it's a time on our calendar that is a feast time. It's a, a joyous time, a festival. My friend Brian Brown sent out this email in his, to his church last week, and instead of paraphrasing it, I think I'm just going to read his words, because they're so fitting for our minds for this season and what we're going to study today. Brian says, Some of the more essential details given to us in the Gospels are those we barely notice. After Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we find him eating fish, walking along roads, giving fishing tips, and walking through doors. There has been a tendency for Christians over the past few decades to think of the Christian gospel as something mostly about what happens to you when you die, and to miss all the everyday glory that God intends to give his people now. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead not only reveals the authority of Jesus over death and his defeat of sin, it also invests this earthly reality with meaning and goodness and beauty. Salvation isn't simply about your status after death. It is about the liberation of your current, everyday life from the powers of sin and death. It's about fishing, hanging doors, raising kids, and dealing with sticky political seasons. It's about the excellent reign of Jesus in the here and now, and the rough and tumble of everyday life. My prayer for us, and my prayer for all of you as well, is that this season that that we would not only marvel at the universal reign of Jesus and our salvation from God's wrath, 
but also find delight in the salvation of this everyday life from sin and death. You see, family, it is so easy to fall into the trap of the Christian life only being about heaven and life after now, not right here in the moment. It is easy to get caught up in the future instead of the present. You see, Easter in this season reminds us that that Christ reigns over all, that every square inch of this world and this universe is his, which means everything in it is his. And since we have been given new life through Christ's death on the cross, we thusly begin and bring renewed life into all things. It doesn't matter whether we're fishing or hanging doors or raising kids or flying planes or folding the laundry or cleaning up dog poop or even dealing with sticky political situations or maybe smoking barbecue. All of it is done for the glory of God. Jesus' death, which is the death we should have died, should impact our lives every single day. It should make all things new. You see, it should direct our steps and lead us down a path of righteousness. Our faith is supposed to be a faith in action. It's supposed to be something that impacts every single aspect of our lives. It is what allows us to live all of Christ for all of life. Family, we are liberated from the bonds of sin right here and right now. And so we should be doing something with this freedom, with this liberation. We should be doing something that is building God's kingdom. And we should be building disciples for Christ. And one very powerful way that we do that is, is how we live our lives, how we live them as renewed and forgiven and reborn men and women in Christ. And this is exactly where we join our text back in Matthew. If you remember, just a, a few weeks ago, before Holy Week, we finished Matthew chapter 9, and it was this pivot point. You see, Jesus is about to send the apostles to go and kingdom build, to spread the gospel. But up until this point, they've been following Jesus. He's been in their midst. He's been leading the way. But just like us, Jesus didn't expect these men to be mere spectators of faith. They were to go and be doers. So Jesus tells them that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. and There's nothing new under the sun. It's the same here today. And so that is where we pick up. We pick up back here in Matthew 10, verses 1 through 4. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. It's easy, and we've talked about this before, but it's easy to miss the small things that are actually big things. It's easy to look at this and just say, ugh, Another list of names in the Bible. Now, it is that another list of names. And we should never forget, we should never forget that names in the Bible are so important because they, they point to the, the truthfulness of Scripture. They, they point out that these were real people living real lives with real families. But I want to read that first sentence again. Matthew 10, 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples. See, it's actually that third, work is, uh, third word I want to focus on. And we'll touch on the other aspects of the, the, the disciples and their authority as we work through the text. But none of that actually matters if we don't think about this third word. And he called. He, Jesus, called the disciples. They, they didn't volunteer. 
There wasn't a who wants to follow Jesus sign up sheet, and there still isn't. Sign on the line and you're in. We'll just send you an email and you can come visit. You see, unfortunately, a lot of the American church has boiled faith down to this very concept of people volunteering, deciding one morning that they're Christian. Pray this prayer, raise your hand, and you're in. Family, that's not the case. We don't wake up and volunteer to be Christians because, honestly, we wouldn't. If you read and you know Scripture, you know that being a Christian is not a life of ease. Now, don't mistake that for it not being a life of joy because it is a life of joy. But it is a promised life of, at times, difficulty and persecution. It is the most true and honest worldview ever. Because it is the true worldview. It's one that, honestly, our sinful hearts wouldn't ever sign up for. Because we'd rather be doing what we want to do. Because, honestly, we're wired, because of the fall, as selfish, sinful creatures. That's why Jesus has to call us first. And we respond to his call. It isn't of our own free will that we just wake up and decide and go, oh, poof. I am a Christian today. Instead, it's what John tells us in John chapter 10, verses 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You see, we hear his voice, and then we follow him. Last week on Easter Sunday, I, I spoke about Jesus calling Mary by name, and Mary responding. You see, we respond when Jesus calls us. The apostles were called to follow Christ, which means they're responding to him, which means that they will go and do what he tells them to do. And it's the same with us. He is calling us, which means we respond to him to go and do what he has called us to do. See, it's so important for us to keep this concept in the forefront of our minds as we look, as we look at what it looks like when Christ sends out the twelve. And that's because he's sending them out to do work that is specific to the manner in which he called them. And it is no difference with us. All Christians are called, but all of our callings look different. But they all serve the same purpose, to build Christ's kingdom. You see, the entirety of our lives is actually a mission field for Christ and his kingdom. So, I want you just to plant that in your mind. We're going to come back to it later, but it's important as we look at this text. Verses 5 and 6. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You see, Jesus begins by giving them instructions, which makes sense because this is his mission that he is sending them on. He did call them after all. They didn't volunteer. It's not their mission. And that's probably a good place for us to take a quick pause. This isn't our Christianity. This isn't our mission. It's Jesus's that we are called to. You see, the mission that he has for them is what he's instructing them on. When, when we are called, we follow his instructions because it's about him and it's not about us. And so that's what he tells them. He says, don't go near the Gentiles or even the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is where the historical context and understanding the historical context of the Bible becomes so important. Because this command, this, these instructions of Jesus could seem kind of weird. You could say to yourself, I thought Christianity was inclusive, and why is Jesus telling these men to avoid certain groups? 
we see it's not actually avoidance. It's an order of priority. And there's priority because of presuppositions. And here's what I mean, because I talk about presuppositions a lot. We all have a worldview, a set of presuppositions, a set of biases, a set of things that we believe and, and how we interact with the world around us. Nobody, nobody comes from a place of neutrality. The idea is that we should be aware enough of what our biases and our presuppositions are that we can have honest discussions, not pretending like we are coming from a place of neutrality. So, so Jesus is, is going on the base of priority based on the presuppositions that the Jewish people have because the Jews already believed in God. And they were waiting for the Messiah. They, they knew that they were God's chosen people. They knew that they were Israel. And because of that, they had already rejected what the pagans, people like the Samaritans and the Gentiles, believed. And so Jesus had the apostles start with the Jews because they were Jewish themselves, because there's relatable experience. But it's more than that. He also had the apostles go to the Jews first, because had they visited the Gentiles or the Samaritans, it's likely that the Jews would have outright rejected them. They, they would have seen them go into a place that they had already chosen not to believe in and, and knew was apostasy and said, well, I'm not going to listen to the folks that are coming out of there. So what does Jesus tell them? He gives them priority. He says, you need to start with the lost sheep of Israel. You need to start with those who, who know God, but they're lost. They don't know the gospel. They don't know the good news of Christ. They don't know that Jesus has come to save them start there. And then in verse 7, he says, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this, this is one of the most beautiful parts. And it ties so well to my friend Brian's message. And it, it, it ties so well to what we talk about here at Christ Church about, about living for all of Christ, for all of life. He says, proclaim. That's the imperative in Greek. He says, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not something to dream about in the future. It's not something just to, to, Jesus, please take me now. I'm just so ready to get to the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's present. Pay attention. Matthew 10.8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. See, if you, if you remember from verse 1, Jesus gave the apostles authority. Verse 1 again, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. You see, they have Jesus's authority and now he commands them to go and do. Go out and do. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand and now go and heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. And why? Because they're miracles, their signs were proof. You could even think of it, I would say, as like the apostles' credentials. If you were to open your, your wallet or your purse, all of us have credentials in our wallets and our purses. It's a driver's license or a pilot certificate or maybe a concealed carry permit. And maybe for some of you, all three. You see, see, those are our credentials. If somebody asks who I am and I need to prove my identity, I give them my photo ID. If the FAA asks me to, to prove during a ramp inspection that I am a certificated pilot, I Show them my pilot certificate. They're my credentials. They prove I am who I say that I am. It's no different with the signs and the miracles that the apostles were doing with the authority of Jesus Christ. They were proof that he is who he says he is, and they were who they said they were. It's not only that, Jesus tells them to do it freely. These things were given to them freely, and so they are to thusly freely 
give. Verses 9 and 10. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. See, so he's clear, because there's nothing new under the sun, that this isn't a journey about creating a business venture, capitalizing on Jesus. You see, they weren't there to get rich by spreading the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. We're called to build economies. We're called to build economies that provide wealth for our children's children. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. But see, that's different. Building an inheritance for your children, both in wealth and in wisdom, and your children's children, is different than turning church into a business. There's no doubt that clergy should be compensated so that their needs are met so they can lead God's people. But that's different than building a church brand or a pastor's brand. Churches are not to be businesses. And we feel very strongly about that here at Christ Church. Businesses are, be, are to be businesses. But churches, churches are to be churches. And so what Jesus is telling them is, you're not to go get wealthy off of this. So don't even take a money bag with you. Take the bare minimum. Don't even take two tunics. I need you to trust in the Lord. Go and, and be his called servant and do not worry for he will provide because this was given freely to you and so and so you shall give it freely to others. And also removes any temptation of being bought. Nobody's going to be able to buy these men. Matthew 10, 12 through 13. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Now, there's a difficult word, worthy. If the house is worthy, what does it mean, worthy? You might even say to me, didn't you tell us we're not supposed to make passing judgments on people and now we are to determine who is worthy or who is not? You see, worthy doesn't mean some special status that we will only let the rich or the powerful into the church or whatever. What it actually means is, is somebody's spiritual position worthy? But how does one determine that? Are we, are we to determine people's spiritual position? Is there some kind of Scientology-like Dianetics test that we are supposed to take and determine people's worthiness? No, of course not. That's insane. It's actually very simple. You see, you will know who is spiritually worthy by how your peace is returned to you. Peace, the Hebrew word shalom. We are to approach people with peace. Paul tells us in Romans, it's a, when it's up to us, we are to be at peace with everyone. You see, we aren't in, to go into homes and hitting people upside the head with a Bible and demand that they have faith in Jesus. And I'm sure you have all seen Christians who evangelize in really, really terrible ways, unpeaceful ways. But that's not what God has called us to be. He has called us to be servants of the Prince of Peace. Which means, unless we have no other choice otherwise, that we are to approach people in peace. And we are to approach people in peace when we are sharing the gospel. So how do we tell if one is worthy? Well, we can tell on how they return our peace. You see, if we go in Christ's peace and it is returned to us, then you know what? We stay. We stay as long as our peace is being returned and our welcome isn't overstayed and we're able to fulfill our calling. But if our peace isn't returned, we don't stick around. 
So then what does it look like when our piece isn't returned? Is it just a, a quick and a short, ah, you know, no, no, thank you. Don't worry about it. No, of course not. Because that could lead us to like this great commission cop out. Well, they said no, so I just kept moving on. You told us they didn't return my piece. When our piece isn't returned, it's indicated by a direct rejection of the gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to, those who us are, but, to those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, when people don't have the Spirit of God in them, when they, when they reject it, they are actually disgusted. They are disgusted by what we have to say. They openly turn against the loving and peaceful God. And I would guarantee you've encountered this in your life. We have, especially after we went into ministry. We had people that had outright hatred and detestation for us. People that we knew. People that at one point were our friends. It was almost like, like I flipped a switch when I became a pastor. When, when nothing else in our life had changed except the title and the office. And all of a sudden, they refused to return our peace. There was an outright rejection of God with hatred. The gospel to them appeared to be folly. Our peace wasn't returned. You see, the worthy are those whose hearts the Holy Spirit has moved in. They're called. And they respond to the word of God. And that is where Jesus is telling the twelve and us to spend time with the worthy with those who do not reject God, with those who do not attribute to Satan the things that are God's. Verse 14. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. See, if people won't listen, assuming that you have gone in peace. When people don't listen, we should always check our hearts to make sure we've gone with Christ's peace. But if they don't respond in peace, if they don't listen, then you know what you're supposed to do? Shake off that dust and boogie on out of there. But what does it actually mean to shake off the dust? I mean, it's made its way into some contemporary Christian music, so we've probably heard the phrase before. But the concept actually comes from the Jewish, Jewish custom that after Jews had left a Gentile town or home, they would literally shake off all of the Gentile or pagan dust and dirt from their feet as not to bring it back into Israel, to contaminate Israel. Remember, Jews cared a lot about clean and unclean, things that were kosher or fit, and things that were trafe or unfit. But see, this was bigger than that. This was actually a visual sign from the apostle to the Jews who had rejected them. And what they were basically saying to the Jews is, just, just as you believe that the Gentiles are unsaved— that's how we are treating you now. They were actually using their own insult against them because the Jews didn't believe, and they still don't, that the Gentiles are in saving faith. And so that's why they didn't want to be contaminated by them. So what Jesus tells the disciples is, you can remind the unbelieving Jews that they are just as big of unbelievers as the Gentiles appear to them. Ouch. That's a pretty big dig, and it happens to be true. And then, Jesus kind of gives the last final poke in here with them, but it's true. And he says in verse 15, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. You see, on the day of judgment, it will be more bearable, it will be more bearable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you haven't read that story in a long time, you should go open your Bibles and take a read. It should be, it should be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than those in the unbelieving town. 
It's a very deep cut. It is a heels dug in statement. And it's not just a mere illustration. Christ is telling the apostles and us what will happen to those who have the outright rejection of the Lord. It will be worse for them than what happened to the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. This is what happens to those who do not return the shalom, the peace. It is no different today than it was in the first century. Those who have an outright rejection of the gospel and of God's sovereignty will find themselves in eternal torment worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I mentioned earlier at the beginning that we are called, and I asked you to, to keep that in kind of the forefront of your mind. You see, we are all first called home to Jesus. He calls us by name. We hear his voice. We respond. It's the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Maybe we respond after we've heard the gospel preached, or we respond because of the home that we grew up in, or, or however the Holy Spirit chooses to work in us so that we respond to Jesus' call. That is our calling as Christians. That is our conversion moment. Christ working in our heart and us responding to the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, a lot of the modern church has just kind of left it there. Well, you're a Christian now. But the reality, friends, is the reality is that that is when the real work begins. James tells us that faith without works is dead. But that doesn't mean that we're being saved by works. We are not being saved by works. None of your works, none of your good deeds can save you. But something happens when you're called by the Lord. You see, when you're called by the Lord, when you become a Christian, you will work for him. You will do his will. Why? Because you are his and he is yours and he has commanded you to do so and you love him with your whole heart. So you're going to follow, you're going to follow the instructions that he has given you. And this is the beautiful thing. Not only did he command the instructions, not only does he, com uh, apostles, sorry, not only does he command the apostles, not only does he command us, but he also gave us and the apostles instructions. He told us how to go do. See, he tells us we must go and share the gospel with others. We, we must fulfill the great commission. We must go and make disciples. But How? You could easily say, it's easy for you to say, you're a trained pastor, it's your job, it's your vocation. But church family, it's your job too. Life is a mission field. It's not just for places in far off lands. It's for next door. It's for the people right outside our room at church. It's for the people inside our homes. It's for the people we work with. It's for every street corner. It's for every inch of this land that we call earth and every, every part of the universe because it's all God's. But when you start thinking about it like that, it can feel really overwhelming or scary. Sharing your faith may feel like this incredibly big ask, and see, this is where it's important for us to think about gifting and calling. So we know that we're called. We acknowledge that it's the response to God's call in our hearts that brings us into faith. It's how we get to trust Jesus. But the real question is, how do we execute? How do we execute in sharing our faith? How do we carry this out? Well, this is what's so beautiful about each and every one of you. You are all unique creations of God. There is nobody else like you before, and there will be nobody else like you afterwards. 
So if you don't believe in God, then this is all just a cosmic accident and your life actually has no meaning whatsoever. But because we know God exists and we know that God is the great creator, that means that he created everything here in this universe with purpose and intent and that includes you. And because we are all unique creations, which is ultimately the best diversity in the whole world, that means we all have different gifts. And those gifts, those gifts are how we execute our callings. Mine are different than yours, and yours are different from mine, and that's actually really wonderful. We don't want a bunch of church robots made. That's why we call the church the body. It's made up of many parts. You wouldn't want a body that was just made up of arms or just made up of legs. That would be crazy. But we have arms and legs and toes and fingers and ears and a nose and a tongue and teeth and all of these different parts and blood vessels and DNA and a heart and lungs, and it goes on and on and on. These different parts of our body, and they all serve a specific purpose. And when they work together and when they fit together perfectly, incredible things happen. It's no, it's no different than the church. We are a body made up of many members with different callings and different giftings. And it's when we bring those callings and we bring those giftings together that we can go out and, and fulfill the mission that God has given us. So how you share the gospel will depend on the unique gifts that God has given each and every one of you. If you're not really sure what those are or how to execute on those, that's something that I can help you with, that we can spend some prayerful time together looking at how best to use the gifts that God has given you. But even though our giftings are different, even though we're unique creations in God, our foundation, our foundation is exactly the same. You see, if we're living or at least attempting to live for all of Christ, for all of life, then how we interact with the world in peace is the crucial part of our discipleship and our ministry. You see, it is from this position of living the Christian life that we can proclaim the words that Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Family, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is not some far off place. It's not some city in the clouds. It is right here and right now in this place, outside of this place, every square inch of this planet, every, every molecule in this universe, it is Christ's and he is king over it all. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The beauty, the beauty we see and the beauty we create, all of it, all of it is the kingdom of God. That is why during communion, I say, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, family, when we take dominion over God's creation as he intended us to, as Christians, we are actually beautifying it for his glory. And that beauty gets to be experienced by everybody, believers and unbelievers alike. You see, we beautify it. We, we work to have dominion over it because God has commanded us to. But we follow his commands because he loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And, and when, we, when we realize that, I mean deep, deep-seated in our hearts, then we realize that every piece of work that we do in this universe is for his glory, and it's part of our mission field and our discipleship. Because kingdom building is the sharing of the gospel. 
doesn't matter whether you're a lawyer or a doctor or a pilot or a janitor or a stay-at-home mom or a student. It doesn't matter. The only identity that matters is your status as an adopted son or daughter of Jesus Christ. It's when people come to our home because, you know, we have an open door here and we have a lot of people that come in and out of the Thai household. And we get a lot of questions about the hows and the whys and the ways of the Thai family, our closeness, our home economies, our home education, our farm animals, just the normal craziness that we have. It is, it is those questions that allow us to be able to talk about how God has worked in our life, how he's redeemed us, how he's forgiven us. It's an opening for us to share our faith journey, to share what it was like living dead in the world in sin. Living dead in the world and the things that separate us from God. And then what the redeemed life is like, the good news of Christ being reborn in him. See, we can talk about that in every, every area of our lives, especially barbecue. You may not know this, but I really love barbecue. Not only do I love to cook barbecue and smoke meat, but I really love to eat barbecue, which potentially could be obvious if you look at me. We see it's, it's more than just the fact that smoked meat is delicious, and it is delicious. It's actually an incredible way for me to talk to people about God, about the kingdom of heaven here and now. It gives me a place to talk about the uniqueness of animals, the different types of meat, how fat, how fat renders and, and under heat to add incredible flavor. It allows me to talk about not just the fact that food is a necessity for our survival, but the beauty of food. And how no other animal beautifies their food. Your dog never sits around and looks at a, a filet mignon and thinks, well, if I sous vide that, then I make my own blackening powder and then I put it in a pan at 500 degrees with some oil and I blacken both sides of it up. It's going to taste even better. The dog is happy to eat that meat raw and the dog will actually be just as satisfied with kibble. The dog is not looking at its plate going, oh, it's, the humans did such a nice job plating my food today. It looks delicious. You see... We can talk about God in every single thing we do because we are called and because life is a mission field, because the kingdom of heaven is near. It doesn't matter whether you are a preacher or you smoke meat, though we could definitely use more of both of those. It could be anything. It could be your vocation. It could be your neighbors. It could be your family. It could be your friends. It could be your kids. It doesn't matter. It's anything. It could be folding the laundry and sharing how beautiful it is to have a family to fold laundry for. It could be delivering the mail. Our local mailman has moved roots, and he's a Christian and a wonderful man, and he gets to take his ministry in the way he connects with neighbors, the way he learns about folks. When, when Grace was missing, he was the eyes and the ears in the neighborhood for us to see if the dog was around. He gets to live his ministry out through his vocation, because he's interacting with people and loving them every single day. It can be anything and everything, because when you are living out your calling, you really are living out all of Christ for all of life. Because Jesus should impact every single thing we do. Because all of our lives are a ministry. But it can only be done. It can only be done if we go in peace. Family, it feels like every day I wake up, I read a news report or I have an email notification that another act of horrendous violence has taken place. 
And unfortunately, some days it's, it's more than one. We know this in our towns, in our communities. We know this in our country, in a, in a greater, in a, a bigger picture. We know this in the world because we know that sin is real. Family, more legislation doesn't fix the sin problem. When we were out in California, I jokingly would say to the people at the metal detectors at the places we were at, why do you even have these? I thought all weapons were illegal in California. And I would usually get some type of a chuckle from a security guard. If legislating our ways to morality worked, we'd have no crime. But the problem is it's a heart problem. And the only solution, the only solution to this world that is hurting so much is the hope that can only come from a renewed life in Jesus Christ. That's why we have to go out and share the gospel. God has commanded us to do it, but it is about building the kingdom of heaven here and now, and that can only be done through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way anybody could ever love their enemy and love their neighbor truly is through redeemed faith in Christ. But it has to be done in peace. Your life is a mission field, and we must approach people in peace. And then we stick around and we stay as long as our peace is being returned. And if it's not, then we shake off our feet and we move on. But you can see where our sinful hearts get in this place because sometimes, sometimes when our peace isn't returned, we shake off our feet and then we want to grumble and we want to complain. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We shake off our feet and we move on and we do it with joy because we are redeemed and forgiven men and women under the headship and authority of Jesus Christ. And that's allow, that is what allows us to be in joy no matter what the circumstances are. That is true freedom and true liberty. See, God has given each and every one of you unique skills and unique giftings to take dominion and, and beautify his creation, to share his message, to build the kingdom of heaven now. So we need to go out on mission with the unique gifts that God has given each in every one of us to do his work and to proclaim his gospel and to proclaim to everyone the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your life-giving word, for sending your son to die the death that we deserve. Lord, we ask you to strengthen us and to bless us as we continue on the calling that you have provided to each and every one of us, unique to us. Thank you, Lord, for making us unique creations, for being image bearers, for being able to beautify and have dominion over your earth. Lord, we just ask you to strengthen us to do it for your will and not our own, to remove all of the selfish desires and the selfish motivations, to leave our money bag at home, and to go in faith and trust to spread your life-saving gospel. Lord, our world is hurting, and the only solution is Jesus Christ. So please bless us on the mission that you have called us to as we redeem the world here and joyfully proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We pray this in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Amen.